Bienvenidos a Crónicas de la Raza. Welcome to La Raza Chronicles. On tonight's program, we bring you info around exciting Bay Area events and, como siempre, arte y poesía. We'll bring you an interview on Cuba Caribe, this beautiful event where you'll get to hear and learn about La Cultura Cubana, the history of Cuban dance, as well as hear about some exciting performances happening soon. We'll also bring you a focus on an exhibit that features women artists and change makers that will not only be addressing some of the many justice issues of our time, but it'll be an opportunity to see art and read poesia y comentario related to these pieces. All this and much more will also bring you some poetry from Matt Cedillo from L.A., brought to us by Gary Baca. Today's program was produced by Brenda Iescas, Nina Serrano, and myself, Julieta Kosnid. Muchísimas gracias por estar aquí con nosotros. Listen and enjoy. You're listening to La Raza Chronicles, Cronicas de la Raza. I'm Brenda Yescas. And on tonight's program, I have Jamaica Itule and Pablo Soto Campoamor, who are here to talk about the amazing Cuba Caribe Festival of Dance and Music happening this week from April 10th through the 14th. Welcome to La Raza Chronicles. Thank you. Thank you, Brenda. So I'm really excited to talk about this uh, festival. Um, can you tell me a little bit about how it got started and how long has it been going on? Yeah, so this is our 15th annual festival this year. So it's been going on for a while. It started 15 years ago when we um, started at Dance Mission Theater in the city. And we put together a show. It started with one weekend, four shows, and they were sold out. And we realized there is the need for this programming and there's the need to represent all the amazing master artists that are here. And that's how it started. I was looking at uh, the festival and it's saying that there's a theme. So there's a theme to this festival of like different kinds of Cuban music. Is that right? Yeah, different genres of Cuban dance and music. So it's called Tradiciones Cubanas. And every year we have a theme. Um, we pick one you know, there's a group of people that get together and we all decide kind of that year what's relevant, what we're interested in focusing on. And then we ask the artists to interpret our theme or we do a call to artists. So they, there's two ways that we do it. Either artists come to us and want to perform or we ask them directly. So this year we went to a few different people and asked them directly. Um, and it's basically the social dances of Cuba, the popular dances this year, which we haven't focused on in a while. It's kind of lesser known stuff, not the timba that's out all over and, and the Afro-Cuban, which is something we represent often and modern, which we're not doing this year. So it's one weekend of programming and it's going to be danzón, son, mambo, cha-cha-cha, a little bit of salsa, conga, rumba. We have an amazing rumba piece that's a fusion this year between a flamenco company and um, a Cuban company. And speaking of the artists, um, it's pretty jam-packed. Can you tell us a little bit about each of the artists that are going to be showcased in the festival? Sure. So there's Arenas Dance Company, um, led by Susana Arenas Pedroso, and they are doing actually three different pieces. Um, and we've worked with them many times in the past, so that's, a, that's an artist that we know and love from Cuba. Um, the Los Lupeños de San Jose, they're a Mexican folkloric company from San Jose, and we've also worked with them and collaborated with them before. They're a big company, so they're bringing, you know, all their people, which will be wonderful. They're doing a traditional mambo 
And we also have Theater Flamenco of San Francisco, and they're doing the collaboration with some Cuban musicians and dancers. So that's going to be a piece. So the rumba form is based a lot on the flamenco roots, um, musically and dance-wise. So it's going to be an interesting piece. Then Ramon Ramos Alayo is going to choreograph two pieces, uh, a danzón and the conga. And we have Vision Latina Quartet, and they're the live music band. So they're doing almost every piece is going to be by their, their group. It's going to be it's going to be nice. It's going to be a good show. And you mentioned a little bit of the background on some of the social dances that are going to be showcased. Can you tell our listeners what they can expect from some of these dances? I mean, they all have different characteristics, all the dances. I think that, um, you know, they're unified by themes, obviously, that run throughout all of Cuban music and dance. They're all going to be really fun pieces, celebratory. You know, there's the graceful there's a lot of um yeah different aspects of each piece i mean they're all beautiful what i've seen of them they're all beautiful i mean they're going on right now rehearsing it's really fun to see them so and you pablo you have i guess the task of being the first person showcased for this festival it's yeah. uh, you're going to be doing a reception and talk about you as an artist and also about your visual art. Tell us a little bit about that. That's right. On the 10th uh, at 6, from 6 to 8, I'm going to be doing an artist talk, talking about Cuban identity and my visual artwork. The talk is called Ajiaco en Lienzo, which Ajiaco is a type of traditional uh, Cuban stew. It's actually found throughout the Caribbean and Latin America, but for, for us in Cuba, um, it is not just an important um mix up a uh, stew of different roots and meats and, and vegetables and things like that. Um, but it also is a symbol of our diversity and it has been used uh, by writers and artists as a, um, a metaphor for the, um, the identity of Cuban people and the rich cultural mix that makes us the uh, amazing culture that we are. And so you're going to see a lot of that reflected not only in the dances and the performances and music that uh, Jamaica just mentioned, but also in my artwork, which draws really heavily from my roots in Cuba and growing up in the Cuban-American community um, in Miami and in uh, the Northeast in New York. And does your visual art piece have a theme similar to all the rest of the festival? My visual artwork in many ways uh, showcases music, spirituality, and the social components that bring all of those things together every day in Cuban life, whether it's in on the island or in the Cuban diaspora um, and all the, the related communities. Um, you know, basically everything from food to musical instruments, to uh, songs that you'll see in my paintings. I write a lot of different um, lyrics to songs. And I'm also, my background is that I have been performing uh, Cuban, traditional Cuban music since I was about eight years old. Um, my father and other members of my family introduced me and, and raised me with that music. And so... It's always been a part of my life. I actually was introduced to Jamaica and Ramon many years ago 
as a member of this, you know, kind of broad Cuban cultural community here in the Bay Area. And uh, I've played drums and, and performed on many occasions, not only in Cuba Caribe, but in many other local festivals for about 20 years now. Uh, but I've been focusing in the last five, six years mainly on my visual art. And so you'll see a lot of that musical performative uh, influence in my visual artwork, drums, um, religious and spiritual iconography, lyrics to poems and songs and costuming and elements from the old and the new all mixed together. Yeah, I mean, I, I've only seen pictures of your art and it's so colorful and mesmerizing and it's well, it's you. really powerful. Thank you. So excited to to see what, what it looks like in person. Yeah, I can't wait. <laughs> and Jamaica, so you're the co-founder of this festival. What What is your background and how did you get started? <laughs> yeah, I am the co-founder. Um, and my background is in visual art and dance. Um, how did I get started? I think I just fell in love with the Cuban culture uh, through dance, honestly. I took one class and I was hooked and I said, I want to do that. I want to look like that. It was a Cuban teacher visiting she was in town doing a workshop, a special workshop at a university, and I that was it. It was like instant for me. It was like, okay, I need to figure this out. And I just immersed myself as much as I could. And I had always done dance. I did, you know, growing up dance and um, African and hip hop for many years. And then I just switched over to anything Cuban I could get into, you know, traveling there and falling in love with the people and the culture and the warmth, I think that that's sort of just it got me all everything about it. Um, so it's been it's been a long time now that I've been doing it. And I feel like, you know, our organization is serving a very important need in this community. And there are so many master artists here, and there are so many underrepresented artists that traditional artists that I feel like we are able to produce and promote. And you know, that's why we're doing this. it's It's really about all the talent, you know, that's here in the Bay Area and in the country and abroad. We've, you know, we've brought some companies international from Cuba a couple times. Those are some highlights for me. And also locally, I mean, this year, these are all local companies and they're doing amazing work. And I don't think there are enough opportunities for these artists um, to perform, to present, to teach, to expand their, you know, their reach. And so that's, yeah, that's kind of why, why we're doing it. Tell our listeners um, where this event is going to be held and also which days. Okay, so it starts on Wednesday, April 10th um, at 6 p.m. at Museum of African Diaspora. And that's going to be the artist talk and reception. And then our performances are Saturday and Sunday at Brava Theater, Saturday, April 13th at 8 p.m. and Sunday, April 14th at 3 p.m. So get your tickets on brownpapertickets.com and come support. And you have a website as well? Yes, we do. It's cubacaribe.org, and all the information is up there, too. Yeah, and you can also find out more about my artwork by putting my name, Pablo Soto Campo Amor, into uh, a search, Google, and you'll see a whole bunch of my artwork come up. And uh, my website is under reconstruction right now, but it'll be back up in a few days. Um, but I really look forward to seeing everyone at the festival and being able to talk a little bit further about my 
journey as an artist, a musician, as a Cuban American, and then to see all these amazing performers and um, get to know how they, you know, do their thing. And again, the Cuba Caribe Festival is happening Wednesday, April 10th with Pablo Soto, Campo Amor's visual art being displayed, reception and talk at the Museum of African Diaspora in San Francisco. And then on Saturday, April 13th through Sunday, April 14th, you can find out more information on that at cubacaribe.org. Thank you, Jamaica Itule and Pablo Soto Campo Amor for being on the show with me tonight. Thank you, Brenda. Thank you. It's our pleasure. And now we're going to give away a pair of tickets to go see this versatile Cuba Caribe Festival of Music and Dance. We'll be giving away a pair of tickets to the Saturday, April 13th show at 8 p.m. at the Brava Theater. If you would like to win tickets, please call us here at the studio at 510-848-4425. That's 510-848-4425. Good luck. Dice mi madre que enero está regalado Que se me acerca pa' sombra y que no los quiere a mi lado que soy hija de la suerte, que lo mío es natural. Que no reparta mi gloria pa' que no me quiera mal. Dice mi madre, tu ocha no es babalao. Pero si fueras un hombre, tambor fuera consagrado. Moyupa Egun, que no te deja caer. Que va a la guerra contigo para que puedas vencer. Mi madre será fina y del vale, pero la conga contigo alándote pa'l bebé. Que te regala la risa y un tumbao que tumba, y que por eso los muertos te van a la pala rumba. La rumba me llamo yo
You're listening to La Raza Chronicles, Cronicas de la Raza. I'm Julieta Kosnir, and on today's program, we're focusing on the many ways artists are transforming conversations that need to be addressed and that artists are at the forefront. We're talking about how women artists are big innovators and in our big conversation starters around really crucial issues, everything from police brutality to gun violence and much, much more. I have on the line with me Shemin Arfuso, who is one of the artists that is part of this very important exhibition that's going to be happening. There's going to be a whole bunch of events, April and in May. Shemin, thank you so much for being on the line with me. Absolutely. Thank you, Julieta, for having me. So you're on the line with us from the Central Valley, where you are now based, but you have been producing art for quite a while. You've been writing and you've been active in this world for a while in the Bay Area, along with the extended Bay Area. So tell us about some of what you've been creating and some of the themes you've been addressing. Well, I've been an activist against sexual violence for about 20 years, a little bit over 20 years. I was raped by a serial rapist when I was 17. And I got into activism basically right away. And in the Bay Area, I used to actually do an artist pairing with people who had been sexually assaulted to portray survivors as thriving, uh, something that started down in L.A. by Dr. Desmond A. Hazley. But through my own healing, uh, I sort of started to dive more into my identity as a Cuban-American and just intergenerational trauma that, um, you know, my family and the women in my family had experienced being refugees and, you know, politics between the U.S. and Cuba and, of course, colonialism and the slave diaspora. So you have touched on so many important themes that intersect through everything that we see in our world when we talk about, you know, misogyny, discrimination, we talk about attacks on civil rights, civil liberties, we talk about what's happening with immigrants, we talk about all the many ways that people who are marginalized are being further marginalized and especially how women bear the brunt of that. We see that through every issue, you know. So why don't you tell us about how all these artists are coming together and some of the things that speak to you as important ways to create conversations or to share insight that otherwise people aren't really hearing. Through my years and years of activism, I kind of slowly started to realize that the larger issue was white supremacy and really kind of dealing with the issue of being passing and presenting. I'm a light-skinned Latina, and, you know, there's a sort of historical in the United States with Cuban-Americans and our politics being very conservative. Um, I think they overwhelmingly voted for Trump in Florida. So I kind of just switched my activism to really working with white supremacy and with a population that I am a part of. And it was really exciting um, being asked to do a written response in the show because I was asked to um, respond to artist uh, Fabiana's piece, Fabiana Rodriguez. And she's Latina X, and she identifies with Afro-Peruvian roots, and she did a piece dealing with borders. And, you know, in this day and age, we kind of see the issue of borders as only impacting, you know, the Mexican and Mexican-American population. But it was nice to write a response to her kind of reflecting on, you know, my family's experience with being refugees and also, you know, how I'm kind of 
breaking that cycle with my children and, you know, what it meant to have my daughter there and, and both my son and daughter, but my daughter's a little bit more into the activism thing. <laughs> but, you know, being able to talk to my children about other children from other countries that are brown like them being detained just for being from somewhere else. So it's just kind of nice when we get to kind of cross these multicultural boundaries and sort of unite in some ways uh, as Latinas, Latinos, you know, Latinx. So I think that's what's really beautiful about the show is it allows a more complex perspective on each piece that's being presented. So I'm speaking with Shamin, who is one of the writers and people who've responded to the art pieces. She's part of a very important exhibition that's going to be showing through April and May. It's going to have many different components and feature some incredible artists. So you've kind of talked about how you were paired with Fabiana Rodriguez, who's been on the show a bunch and we really love. There are a lot of other really important luminaries. Esther Hernandez is one of the people that's also going to be shown. Some of her pieces are going be shown and there's going to be a response related to her piece as well. So talk to us about some of the other themes that you know are going to be discussed when they go see this show. Well, so I was talking about border issues, but I know that there's going to be stuff on gun violence, police brutality, reproductive choice, freedom from unlawful detention. I know that I was asked to be a part of the show because of my my background in like being a loud activist for preventing sexual violence against women. So it was cool to me to see that this show really tries to exemplify a very diverse voice of issues that affect women and, you know, non-binary trans folks from all different backgrounds. And, you know, that's important to me as a feminist. And when we talk about things like intersectionality and being able to represent different issues we're all facing. So tell us more about the actual show and exhibit. And I know there's going to be an opening reception and some other opportunities to have hear from writers because it's exciting to actually hear writers read their own pieces. Tell us about some of those details. Okay. So first off, what I want to say is that the whole show, the exhibit, everything is free. That's huge because it makes it accessible for anybody to go and see it. Um, it's opening Saturday, April 13th. It closes Saturday, May 11th. It's at the Art Gallery in San Francisco on Folsom Street. Um, we have an opening reception on Saturday, April 13th from 7 to 10 p.m. And then there's a writer's evening, which will be Thursday, May 2nd from 6.30 to 10 p.m. And then there will be a panel May 11th from 1 to 3 p.m., and that'll be the closing reception. So there's plenty of opportunities to go and see all of the artwork and then also to get a lot of kind of academic and, you know, artists and all of those sort of complex perspectives on these pieces and how they kind of intermingle and why it's so powerful. So tell us about the name. I was because uh, the umbrella is a big umbrella that all these wonderful artists are kind of coming together and sharing around these very personal, but also, of course, very political issues. So tell us about how kind of how that umbrella came to be, or or what why it's called what it is. <laughs> well, I don't know how they came to it, but I do know that so the show is called S two one three, and that's short for Fahrenheit 213, which is one degree above the boiling point of blood. And I think basically the premise is, is that we're fed up. Excuse my French. I don't know if I'm allowed to cuss on the air, but like 
we're fed up. We're done, right? And we want to be heard and, you know, we're tired of, like, making ourselves quiet or becoming palpable to, you know, oppression and white supremacy. And, you know, I think it's just a place where artists and writers can come together and just really be authentic and, you know, it comes with that really um, revolutionary voice of, like, we are just done. I know for myself, I've been in this for 20 years, and to see the same stuff happening over and over again, looking at Kavanaugh, looking at R. Kelly, it's like, how can we still be having the same conversations? Why are women of color still not being heard? Why are women still being sexually assaulted? Why am I so worried about, you know, this being a reality for my children? And so that's what I think we're trying to present here is like, we are done. And so if people want to read more about your writing related to sexual violence or expanding looking at the diaspora and your work against white supremacy and kind of positioning that from a Latinx perspective, which, you know, is often missing because I think that white supremacy is not something that's tip of the tongue with coming from Latino Latinx folks that want to be as adjacent to whiteness often as possible, you know, but, right. um, but so talk to us about where can we connect to your writing and your thinking around these issues? Um, well, I'm really active on social media. Um, I've got two, actually I've got three Instagram pages, Dr. Bruja Mama. I'm also a practicing palera. I have one called Healthy Cubionas, which is with one of my uh, Chicana girlfriends where we kind of are trying to dismantle, you know, white supremacy ideals around fitness. And then I have another one called Sabusora Woman. And that's all about, you know, embracing healthy sexuality from a Cuban perspective. Um, I also have a website, ShameenNicole.com, uh, where I put some of that stuff. I have different poems and stuff shared in other places. I think uh, Ambitious Mamas, which is a feminist uh, website that's out there. But yeah, uh, it's you said it perfectly. It's not something that as Latinas we really want to work with or talk about or deal with our, you know, mestiza identity and like what it means to be part colonizer and part colonized and you know, also kind of giving space to, like, recognize, you know, African influence in our culture and our history, and also that there are indigenous people still living and breathing to this day in the Caribbean, and, you know, that's a lot of what I'm trying to bridge here is kind of calling out my own complicitness doing the best I can to be a part of the solution here. How can people connect to the exhibit if they didn't catch all the details, the dates, the address? We didn't tell people where this is exactly. Okay, so you can catch all the details at www.ncwca.org. The Northern California Women's Caucus for Art is who's performing it. The show is open from April 13th to May 11th. So, again, you can get details at ncwca.org. I'll probably be blasting it all over my Instagram, which is Dr. Bruja Mama, Sabrosura Woman. Yeah, so hopefully you can come and catch it. It should be a really exciting show. I know there's quite a few Latinas representing in the show, which is great. 
So you actually collaborated or your project was connected to Fabiana Rodriguez, who is a really loved artist here in the Bay because she connects so many dots. She really talks about sexuality and everything from masturbation to love to ideas of monogamy in her art. She's addressed issues, everything political, like every political poster we have here, you know, somehow tied to Fabiana. I feel like you particularly in your piece in connecting with her, this issue of identity was uh, was a primary one in terms of how Latinidad isn't often a, a big enough or the pan um, these pan ethnicities sometimes leave out or make invisible some p aspects of our ourselves. Talk to us a little bit about how you connected to her around her piece around how her story or her identity isn't often understood when someone just sees her as Latina. I was really excited to kind of look into her identity and, you know, seeing her identify herself as, you know, Latinx with Afro-Peruvian roots and acknowledging, you know, her light skin privilege and not being seen as black, but allowing some nuance to her identity. And I think that this is a really pertinent topic in uh, Latina populations. Um, there has been some conversation amongst Chicana scholars, uh, Morales, Moraga, Cuban scholar Hernandez, around this idea of our whiteness and complicitness, but also allowing for that complexity of our for our identities to come out, but also to be continually interrogating our privilege and being aware of that, there's an ongoing saying in academia for people of color about, you know, how we don't need to pimp out our sob stories to become relevant in academia. And one of the things I say is it's not so much about pimping out our stories, but it's so important, I feel, for those of us with white presenting privilege to remember those places of oppression so that we don't slide into whiteness and complicitness and white supremacy too easily because I think it's a line that we constantly have to hold and be very mindful of. And so that's a lot of my passion with my work nowadays is, you know, sort of helping other Cuban Americans kind of realize, hey, we were refugees too. Like we really need to get on board with you know, dealing with issues um, of detainment at the border. And so that's why I was really excited to be able to respond to uh, Fabiana Rodriguez's piece. We've been talking about the many ways that artists, activists, particularly women, are putting these important issues in context and are going to be part of this really powerful exhibition that is going to be running for about a month and people can check it out. It's There's going to be a lot of exciting events related to it and it's a chance for you to have great conversations with your colleagues and friends, meet great people, connect to other writers and artists. It's rare that you do pair artists and writers together, so this is a beautiful opportunity for people to experience these rich conversations in a context and with framing that's very rare and unique. So thank you so much for joining us um, all the way from Fresno. No. Yes, I'm Fresno, California. So we have so many wonderful artists and writers from Fresno, and it's great to have you on via phone, at least to share with us what you'll be sharing at the sh exhibition. And people can read your work and perhaps even meet you, right, if they are part of some of the events. Yes, I will be there. Great. Well, thank you again. I really appreciate your time. Thank you so much.
I'm Gary Baca for La Raza Chronicles. And in the studios, we have Dr. Irene Sanchez. She has a PhD in education, ethnic studies educator. She also has blogs. She's a poet, and she does many lectures. She's here in the KPFA studios. Welcome to KPFA. Hi, how are you? I'm doing great. Hey, thanks for coming in. And yeah, tell us a little bit about your history. I know you come from Los Angeles, right? Yes. So originally I was born in Southeast Los Angeles. My parents were born and raised in East Los Angeles. We moved out to the Inland Empire, which is Riverside, San Bernardino. When I was younger, a lot of my life, I feel like, was always still centered around L.A. My father still commutes to Los Angeles to work. Um, That's about an hour commute each way. And growing up, I credit my parents with teaching me about the history of East L.A. and where our family's from and how we came to be in East L.A. because it has a really rich history. And I think some of that gets lost in some ways. I think some people forget. Some people just don't know. So that's why I take what I do now as a as an educator, uh, teaching ethnic studies, Chicano studies very seriously because I want to make sure the students don't forget that we have a long history here in the Southwest. Well, as an educator, I mean, what do you see what's going on now? What do you see what's happening in the classroom and especially with the budget cuts, right? Yeah, so I'm lucky that where I teach, uh, they even have, they call it Latino studies there because of the diverse population. I work in a school district that's 92% uh, Latino students. Of that, though, about, I want to say, like 85 to probably 87% of that is Mexican descent. And what I see is that, you know, students develop this negative sense of self, I think, even growing up in an area where we're still a majority I feel like they're coming in and they don't know about who we are, where we come from. And yet they hear on the news, they hear our current president, 45, right, that they keep hearing him say things, you know. And so they know that there's bad things going on in our community. But at the same time, it's like, well, how do you bridge what's going on today with what happened in the past? And so I always tell them history repeats itself. So that way they can connect what's going on today to what has happened it's hard because, you know, when I when I first got there, they were saying that, you know, they were actually getting disencouraged to taking those courses, even though that school district has so many Latino students in general. And I was really shocked to hear that because I'm like, well, why would anyone say you don't want to take it? And I heard from other people, they were saying things like, um, you know, oh, well, these students just don't want to learn about themselves. And, and I think that is a complete lie. I think ethnic studies and having these sorts of courses teaches students uh, to to know where they come from, to know history, to think critically and to think what their communities need so that way, you know, they can help be the ones to create solutions later. Do you feel the district is supporting you? Do you feel that they give you the tools to work with the students? I think so. I as much as they can. And so because I was teaching this at a college level, more like an adjunct before, I see the differences. So, you know, uh, like many schools, the one I work in is is under resourced I am one teacher who goes to three different schools, and I can tell that there's a difference between the way the continuation high school students, for instance, because I work at a continuation school, how they view themselves as opposed to going to the other schools that are considered, you know, the, quote, traditional, comprehensive high schools. You know, there's issues with money. I spend a lot of money out of my pocket 
with that tax bill, I was really upset. They were saying, we're going to take out that $250 that teachers can deduct. And this is my first time in a K through 12 system. And I've already spent more in my first three months than $250 on on supplies, on students don't have pencils and that that kind of thing. And so and sometimes students don't have food. You, you know, they come, they're hungry. And it's like, how can you expect them to learn and to be fully there. You know, there's all these other things going on in their lives. There's there's issues in the community. A lot of my students that are at the continuation school also are, are dealing with stuff going on on the streets. And so, you know, it's, it's a challenge. Those All of those things are challenges. Being under-resourced and not having what you need and maybe, maybe not having enough counselors, not having enough support for these students to be able to do well in school. I got to commend you on working with students and being out there and being on the front lines. Of course, you know, we know that teachers don't get paid enough. Uh, They treat them like they're working at McDonald's, you know, I mean, just the pay alone. So uh, they don't value, I feel, uh, they don't value the teachers, the school district. You know, I got to commend you for, you know, being out there, sticking with it and sticking with the students. And I know it's not easy. So, I mean, what can you say to other educators, other people out there about what's going on in the school district with the kids? I say we have to keep fighting because, you know, a lot of issues that I see going on today, I feel like are similar issues to when I was growing up, too. So when we moved out to the IE um, when I was a kid, you know, I'm going from where we're in the city of Commerce. I remember when I was going through my first, you know, years in school, um, city of Commerce is uh, right outside of East L.A., like right next to it. You cross over a bridge and you're right there. And, you know, I'm going from a school that's that's all Mexican, basically, back then. And I'm going to the IE where you had I, one of my poems. I say, you know, white boys with Confederate flags. And that that's real. That is the Inland Empire. That is kind of how it still is to this day. And so when I went through school, I remember, um, you know, just the tracking and just all these ways in which they separate you. And I was a student who didn't do well in school at all. And I think that's why because people expected so little of me that I wanted to push myself to kind of prove them wrong. And so when I go in the classroom and, you know, I'm showing the students who I am and telling them what what I've been through in my life, especially when when I'm working at the continuation high school, you know, because they ask me, they're like, you have a PhD. Why are you not teaching college? Why are you here? And part of the reason why I was there, because, you know, the opportunity came up, they also recruited me. They asked me if I wanted the position. But at the same time, I also wanted to do what I was meant to do and to give back to my community to empower these students and basically help students who were like me growing up where, you know, there was lack of opportunity. You didn't have people who believed in you that you could do anything good with your life. And so that's why I decided to to take this position and, and be a teacher. And, you know, you fast forward, you know, after I was going through school, barely graduated high school, go to community college, you know, and then I ended up going to UC Santa Cruz then moving away and going to UW in Seattle. And, you know, I moved back in 2015 to Southern California. And just last year, even in my old school district, Rubino High School, there was this day without immigrants. I don't know if you remember February 2017. And so it's almost coming up on a year. And on that day without immigrants, students from my old high school, Rubido High School, they decided to walk out because there was five teachers and one counselor who said that um, Mexicans, you know, the, the people basically that left school that day to walk out were dirty, they're, they're lazy. So all these old terms you've heard before that I've heard before and the students decided to protest and, you know, it went to the school board. I went. I had a day off of work, thankfully, that day. So I was out there with the students and 
being there in 2017 reminded me of 1994, I believe it was, um, when Prop 187 happened in California. And I remember being in middle school back then in the IE, walking out. And, you know, being a 12-year-old, right, just had to walk out of a class. It's like all I remember about the proposition was that people were scared. And I remember that me and my friends were going around like, oh, they they hate us. They hate us. And, and that's why we're doing this. And I'm like, oh, yeah, they, you know. So, you know, to say that students even walking out now don't understand and, you know, just tying that all in. And, and this year is actually the 50th anniversary of the walkouts in East L.A. And I think that's really important because... I ask myself then now that I'm in the K through 12 system, now that I'm teaching high school, I'm like, how much has any of this really changed? And I think that's something we all need to ask ourselves and we all need to continue working on and just not give up because there's so many other things happening. But we need to make sure that that our students know their history and they feel empowered because how else are they going to be able to hold their heads and with dignity? With all this going on around you, uh, it inspired you to do poetry, right? Yeah. And so I, I'm curious because you're saying all this and, I mean, you have this history and all these experiences, do they come out in your poetry? Yeah, I have one poem. It's called Empire, and I think it comes out there. I feel like all that history and all the teachings I feel like my, my father taught me has come out in a lot of my earlier stuff, when I first started writing, it was probably about in 2006 I started writing poetry more. I was living away. So I was up in Santa Cruz. I was up in Seattle. So a lot of times I didn't have an opportunity really to like, go to open mics. I, I, I come out of like just trying to do it on my own, not really having a community to support you in doing that. But I feel like in doing that, I've also developed my own my own voice in some ways. Can you give us um, a sample of your poetry? Yeah, so let me see where I'll do it. Yeah. Empire. Life in the empire is made up of concrete dreams, smog horizons, and dirt. This is not the USA sing of. Oh, say, can you see pastures of plenty? I remember when it was green and I watched how dairy farms and citrus groves became warehouses and free trade zones, creating pollution, and the most colorful sunsets are among the most beautiful I've ever seen to this day. Living in the empire will confuse you like when you move there and white boys in big white trucks and Confederate flags drive down your street as you watch them from the bigger house your parents you never see because they work so much moved you to. Bigger doesn't always mean better, but you try to convince yourself it is like they told you to. Don't be ungrateful. Living in the empire will consume you. I remember how my friends were pushed out of school, never to be seen or heard from until years later, and how the air wasn't the only thing polluting us. Holding these secrets and self-medicating them was killing us. Even as we did our best to travel straight lines, we were still called less than, and we began to believe it. They say we come from the wrong side of the town, wrong side of the line, since 1848, Mexican-American War, from Vietnam to the wars of today. Chicanos die on the front lines abroad and at home. And yet we are still marching like our ancestors did, dodging tear gas cans and bullets fighting for our brilliance. Brilliance that we already had, brilliance that is unrealized. Brilliance that has yet to be uncovered as we begin to believe the lies that they can make something out of us as if we were nothing and no one without a history to begin with. Living in the empire will confuse you until you remember where you came from. I remember when I walked out for Prop 187, we demanded our rights because they hated us Mexicans. These rights we've been trying to get since Mexican schools, we've been trying to get since walkouts, we've been trying to get since they took our land and made us foreigners on it and called our grandparents wetbacks. I remember my parents growing up in East L.A. and the pain they didn't want to talk about and how they believed the American dream meant they wanted to give us better than where we were from as if where we were from was not good enough. But I learned it was good enough. We just couldn't afford to live there. And my parents thought bigger was better because it costs less, but really it costs everything when you cover up generational trauma with things. They say in the empire, you don't have a choice. 
This is the way it is and always will be. Just accept it, but you can't because living in the empire teaches you that the empire is everywhere and it must be destroyed before it devours us all. This next one's a short one. I actually wrote it for a journal about Southwest literature. It's going to be coming out soon. It's about women in labor. Do you feel better if you have someone lower than you? Women have proven throughout time that it is more powerful when we rise, for we are the salt of the earth. Women have held down front lines since before miners' strike, working as riveters in factories, hanging laundry to protest railroad tracks like Modesta Avila. We live for justice and die to protect our dignity, even as we have been pushed into poverty and remain the lowest paid workers in the U.S. Do you feel better to have someone lower than you? For we are not asking for our proper place. We demand you give it, or like history has shown, we will take it. Oh, that was great. I want to thank you for coming down and being a part of this and being here on La Raza Chronicles with us. Is there anything you want to say to the Bay Area? Any shout-outs? Well, shout-out to my little boy, Quetzal. I think uh, my homie, his, his name's Desi. He's actually a graffiti art- artist over in Oakland. Um, he does great work doing political murals and things like that for um, just the whole area around Oakland. His project's called the Community Rejuvenation Project. Um, you know, they empower youth, have them out there doing murals and things like that. My partner, Matt Sadio, he's a poet. I want to thank you for having me on. And, um, you know, we just got to keep up the fight. We got to keep up the fight. Thank you for coming by, and we'll see you again. Hey, Matt, uh, Matt, you you got to give us a poem, man. Bless us with a quick poem on the mic. Los Angeles full of abuelas raised grandkids in Spanglish under the watchful eye walked them with the Virgin Jesus. Make a village out of a duplex raised Catholic, but the roots are indigenous. Several generations of family extension all growing in one plot. Hand-me-downs that are shared rules, rooms, and reflections. In la quech, porque mi casa es tu casa, the promises of family living. That's palabra. Slide a candle. Burn some sage, pick your saints, and set your altar the sign of the cross. The sound of the conch and prayers lifts the four directions. That's culture, not contradiction. Folks in the back, they fight for a living. Fight 15, hail from the rowdy section, Dodger Stadium, but their hearts still burn with a fire from that Chavez ravine. And here is home of La Reina. At 54 cents on the dollar, America's most exploited worker neglected. Disrespected, underrepresented, presumed incompetent. If she lives life as expected, she will label statistic. If she managed to outpace them, threaten, they will blame affirmative action, but either way, they will not see her. They will demand her labor paid and unpaid, smiling, her eyes humble and her mouth silent. Lady of the River. Cities past, present, and future. The Queen of Angels. Invisible to those who float through canyons, lagoons, and cemeteries, whitewashing adobe through a series of fevered dreams connected by a bridge called her back to those who make demands. The stories told to bury the past, the ones who serve to remind her that she works for them, that she is lucky to even have a job here in El Pueblo, the Nuestra Señora La Reina de Los Angeles de Rio por Cinco Hours. They like to call it La La Land. In the 1780s, we built the Pueblo. In the 1890s, the brickyards of Montebello built one again, only beaten and shot, only for no Mexicans, no dogs, only be written out of the history of a city we found as we were priced out of the homes of our mothers. Yet more and more of greater Los Angeles suddenly discovered this is the struggle of our forebears. Un parapan, historia y terras. Victoria siempre, the struggle is real. La lucha sigue la Arena de Los Angeles on the front lines of every fight, holding it down, holding with the better half of the sky, fighting for education, fighting for tenants' rights, fighting La Migra, lies, fighting for dignity, hers and ours all the time. Proud and brown and brown and proud. The hearts and hands, the backbone of these raised fists. When we throw two fingers up, when we say Donald Trump, that's not identity politics. That is the cry of the proletariat. Now, 54 cents on the dollar, she is the face of it. So when you see her, when you see her pushing some other mother's drawers, locked behind cash registers, my third, fourth, fifth shift of the oppressed. Show some respect. Bow your head and bend the knee. All hail Arena, the once and future queen. Shout outs to uh, 
uh, the Bay Area. Shout outs to Quetzal and shout outs uh, and shout out to Matsudio, man. Just great work <laughs> as always. I'm gonna give one more shout out to uh, the Bay Area to uh, a good friend. Their name's D. They're an educator there in Oakland. Also to uh, all my fellow comrades uh, from the Watsonville Brown Berets. Um, I was a Brown Beret member for a while, and a lot of the friends I have up there from that space um, are now in the Bay Area. We're kind of scattered now, but um, yeah, shout out to all the Watsonville Brown Berets living in the Bay. Once again, hey, I want to thank you both for coming down and being a part of this. to La Raza Chronicles, Cronicas de la Raza, and this is a calendar of Bay Area events and happenings. From April 10th through the 14th, the Cuba Caribe Festival presents its 15th annual Cuba Caribe Festival of Dance and Music, featuring artists from all over the Bay Area. This year's theme is focused on Cuban social dances like mambo, son, rumba, and more. The festival starts with an opening reception and talk with local visual artist Pablo Soto Campoamor. For more information on venues and times, go to cubacaribe.org. The International Floricanto Literary Festival will be held from April 11th through the 13th in San Francisco. Showcasing local, national, and international poets, they provide a forum for emerging voices of the Mission District and Latino community. There will be a poetry walk, Paseo Artístico, across the Mission in San Francisco, a book discussion on young refugees from Central America, as well as art exhibitions. For more information on event venues and times, go to floricantosf.org. For Friday, April 12th, the Latin American Leadership Society at UC Berkeley are hosting a conference to provide the much-needed conversation on what is happening in Venezuela. In this conference, there will be a panel of experts from Venezuela with a diverse background in law, politics, national security, activism, and research in order to discuss and analyze the circumstances and historical events which have brought the country to this point. The conference will be held at the UC Berkeley campus at Bolt Hall, room 175, from 11 a.m. to 6 p.m. For more information, go to vocesdevenezuela.weebly.com. For Saturday, April 13th, Join Inlakesh Dance Academy for their Spring Fling Social. Inlakesh Dance Academy is a love-centered dance academy that highlights queer and trans dancers. There will be performances all throughout the night, as well as beginner-friendly bachata class and DJs. This is at the Trilliant Studios, 130 Linden Street in Oakland. Starts at 9 p.m. and is wheelchair accessible. For Sunday, April 14th, La Peña Cultural Center will have their welcoming of their long-awaited spring season. Come jam to bomba music with family, friends, community, and beautiful youth. Bring your barriles, faldas, and maracas. This is an open jam and family-friendly at La Peña Cultural Center. 3105 Shattuck Avenue in Berkeley. Starts at 4 p.m. and is wheelchair accessible. LaPeña.org On Monday, April 15th, KPFA will be celebrating our 70th year as the world's first listener-supported radio station. 
we'll be asking for your generous support as we try to accomplish a one-day total of $70,000. That's right, 70 for 70. In our 70th year, we pledge to remain passionate, independent, and innovative. Join our 70 for 70 campaign right now online at kpfa.org and donate today to help keep KPFA as vigilant as always. Donate and support La Raza Chronicles and Latinx Radio on KPFA. And this has been a calendar of events and happenings for the Bay Area. If you have events to add to the calendar, email us at larazachronicles at kpfa.org. Feliz noches! Listening to La Raza Chronicles, Crónicas de la Raza. If you'd like to stay up on our news, like us on Facebook at La Raza Chronicles on Facebook. If you want to hear this program or share it with a friend, you can go to soundcloud.com slash La Raza Chronicles and share it. If you have any ideas for interviews we should be doing or would like to get involved with our collective, you can email us at La Raza Chronicles at kpfa.org. Muchísimas gracias y buenas noches.